previously on the Enneagram journey. But before they can go on offense, they have to mount a defense. The reason is simple. At only about two pounds and just a foot long, meerkats are vulnerable to other predators. So for protection, one member finds a termite mound or shrub and keeps watch. The elves began it, waking up the trees, teaching them to speak. Talking trees. <laughs> what do trees have to talk about? Hmm? Except the consistency of squirrel droppings. So I'm sitting here trying to think. Um, Thanks for giving us time. Yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> um, I, I feel as if being thinking dominant, I am notoriously a slow processor. Um, it takes me a long time to think through um, what I want to say or what I believe or what I feel. Um, being thinking dominant, I love strategy and analyzing and information. Um, I'm top heavy, my brain's um, always going. Welcome everyone to a brand new, fresh episode of the Anigram Journey podcast with Anigram Godmother, Suzanne Stabile. My name's Joel and today's guest is Anigram 6, Lindsay O'Connor. We're gonna find out what she's reading, what do sixes and meerkats have in common, and have you ever heard of a counterphobic hangover? Before I get you over to their conversation, there's so much going on in upcoming at LTM. Nothing bigger than where will we go from here? A three-day event in Dallas, or you can join us online with Suzanne, Reverend, and good, good friend of the show, Brian McLaren. It's March 31st through April 2nd. What happens when our brains get stuck in ruts? that keep us from imagining a full range of possibilities. What biases may be conscious or unconscious driving forces in our decision-making? What role does your Enneagram personality play in all this? And how do all of these things block us from grace, forgiveness, and mercy? Where will we go from here? March 31st to April 2nd, online or in person in Dallas, with Brian McLaren, the Reverend, and Suzanne Stabile. Visit lifeinthetrinityministry.com slash where will we go and while you're on the website go ahead and click over on the upcoming book and podcast tour the Enneagram Journey Toward Wholeness hitting 10 stops around the country hopefully one of them is near you and now I'll send you on to the conversation with the Enneagram Godmother and Lindsay the Tree Whisperer O'Connor It's the Enneagram Journey Podcast. Yeah. Hi. Hello. Act like you've done this before, Suzanne. There we go. (laughs) Sorry. I I don't know what I thought. Intro music or something. I was waiting for something. Um, Lindsay, for anybody who doesn't know Lindsay, um, she is one of the best parts of our team here at the Micah Center. She's a six, and we had no idea how much we were missing how much we didn't think about, how much we didn't think through, a perspective that was just lacking until we got you. And um, I'm so excited that you said yes to being on the podcast because you've done a lot of Enneagram work. You have a lot to share. I'm anxious to um, share you with all the people who will get to hear you. 
and I'm thankful for your time. Uh, one of your beautiful daughters has a birthday today, and so it's a, a day for us to celebrate children and record uh, honestly about all things adult. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> to celebrate her and talk about her while she's not here and how parenting goes. She's living it up. She gets to be in person school this year, so yeah, she's happy. And I bet you are too. Huh? I am. Yes. I've been wondering about how I would have handled at home school. I think not well, and how people's lives are changing who were schooling their children all year, and now it's kind of back to sort of normal, whatever that is. Joe and I have been talking about the fact that people at, in churches. I bet it's true at your church, and um, it certainly is at ours, want things to be back like they used to be. It's like that's what they want. And we know things are not going to be the way they used to be. They yeah. can't be. Yeah. So my first question is, once the girls went back to school, does family life feel more like it used to be? Or have things changed in a way that that's still all new and different? It doesn't feel the same. Um, part of it is because I'm in a different season of life, pandemic aside, because it's my younger daughter started kindergarten this year. So I was mostly a stay-at-home mom until I started working here part-time, and her starting kindergarten was sort of a finish line of sorts in my mm-hmm. mind. Um, I loved staying at home with them, and I'm really glad I got to do that. Um, and then, of course, both my kids were home last year. So... Um, family life feels different, but it's, I think part of it is I feel different because my role is changing. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that I observe in you is that you are mindful about the whole continuum from phobic to counterphobic six, and you are, um, sort of an introvert, like not an introvert introvert you're not way at the end but you are not me (laughs) (laughs) and I noticed that you when you're confident of what you know and what you're saying you're counterphobic and when you're asking questions you're not phobic but you're not as sure Mm -hmm. not as sure of yourself Mm -hmm. or your answers for life as when you're in this other space Mm -hmm. I think sixes are having a a very difficult time because along with other Enneagram teachers, I taught it wrong for a long time and said, you're either phobic or counterphobic, and uh, that's just not true. And I think I learned that in part from you, that there is this continuum where sometimes you're more counter and sometimes you're more phobic. Can you just talk about that and say whatever you want to about it? And I may ask more questions, but it's a good teaching moment for people who know sixes and love sixes because it's confusing for sixes. It's for sure confusing for the rest of us. It is confusing. Um, First, I would say that I struggled a lot. I still do some, but I've gotten a little better in distinguishing between the stress moved to three and being counterphobic Mm. Um, because sometimes um, when I get more aggressive, I don't know which of those things is happening. Mm -hmm. I'm still not totally sure. 
I also think that it's, I think the older I get, I use it. So I've spent more, more time in my life overall in the phobic area probably. But I think the counterphobic part of the continuum is almost like a stress move in that I can use it um, and I can see how it serves me. And sometimes it's just like I'm so tired of the phobic part. It's like, well, I don't want to do that. So this is the other the other option. I don't know if that makes any sense. It does make sense. It's like, I can choose this. Yeah. You know, like when I'm talking about um, what happens in your stress number and how you need that to take care of yourself. Yeah. And I say, you know, after a while, after you've gone to that number enough times, you can bring back behavior mm-hmm. with you that you can intentionally use. And I think you can do the same thing, I, I guess, like I think I'm asking. It sounds like you're saying you can do the same thing with counterphobic. It's like, I, I know how to do this and approach this a different way because I've been there yeah, and I've used it. Is that correct? I think so. Because I think it used to come out mostly when my buttons were pushed. So when certain things, um, usually, usually a common good situation, um, or an injustice or, um, somebody, I get really frustrated when people try to speak for everyone without considering that there are other valid points of view, whether or not you disagree. And so that used to be something that, um, I would become counterphobic without, you know, not consciously, Mm -hmm. but just did, um, and then I felt like I had sort of a counterphobic hangover. <laughs> like, I'm exhausted. Like, oh, what have I done? A um, counterphobic hangover. Yeah. yeah, that's a good I line. I love that phrase, yeah. yeah. Um, it happens in my stress move to three, too. It's like it's a, an, an energy hangover with that one. But um, I think after that happened enough times and, and I understood more what was happening with Enneagram work, it was like maybe maybe there's some part of that that's helpful without the part that makes me feel like it's a hangover. <laughs> I don't, yeah, does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. So a kind of like a high side and low side we talk about yeah. the stress number. Um, so I think for me, the gifts of the counterphobic part are um, just having the thought like, I don't have to take that. I can stand up for myself. Um, and that used to feel like arrogance, and sometimes it still does. Um, but I'm kind of fine-tuning it to try to find a way to do it that is um, appropriate and respectful, but still not being a doormat. Right. I hope this, what I'm about to say, I really need it to come out right. So if it doesn't, you have to tell me. Okay. I had no idea when you were here and volunteering, not working with us yet. I had no idea how well-read you were. I had no idea how broad and deep your knowledge of people and the world is. I had no idea of the time that I had spent with you when I would have asked different questions if I had known all of that about you. And I don't know if that is being an introverted, sometimes phobic, six if that's being an introvert, has nothing to do with sickness. If it's just that you have decided to make your way in the world waiting for people to find out, you have a lot to say. And I'm guessing that there are 
sixes who will hear this who think, I have a lot to say too, but I'm kind of an introvert and I think I'm mostly phobic. Yeah. Can you talk about that? Because you are a gold mine and I didn't know. I liked you a lot. I was always glad when you were here. I would have had different conversations and let you teach me if I had known to. I think part of it is, um, I don't know if this is a six thing or maybe a head triad thing. I have trouble finding access points. There are things that I want to say or talk about, but I don't always know how to start it. And I think part of that is being an introvert. But there's something about, there is something about waiting and making sure everyone has gotten a chance to have their say first. And I'm sure part of it is just the sixth part of not fully trusting myself and not always feeling confident or just feeling like the timing isn't right, needing more time to process. I don't know. I feel like I'm kind of rambling here. Um, No, you're not. I have a question if you feel like you're rambling. Time for a plug. Your social media, what what is it? Literary? It used to it was shameless bibliophile and now I've changed it to my name, but Oh okay. Yeah. All right. Well people can find find it there. I love seeing what you're reading and your thoughts on it. And so what was your medium before social media? Uh, so I feel like there's lots of young sixes out there that maybe are too young for, or, you know, to have a social media presence, which doesn't really exist, I guess, now that there's 10 year old billionaires on YouTube. <laughs> but, uh, what did you do before Instagram? What was your outlet for, for that? Cause it is so informative, so creative. It's great. Thank you. Um, I didn't really do that before. Um, I mean, I've always been a big reader And I guess what it looked like before was it's always been meaningful to me to find people who I can connect with through books. Mm -hmm. Um, And so my dad and I have always, since I was at least in high school, um, shared books. And it's kind of a way that we talk to each other. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, met a friend of a friend in college and I didn't know much about him except that he liked to read. And he was in Georgia and I was in Texas and we mailed books to each other. Mm, Nice. Um, and, you know, like, there was nothing romantic. We weren't, we didn't really know each other, but we just shared books. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess before it was more finding people, it, it was kind of a way, sort of like we were talking about, kind of an access point, mm-hmm. kind of a way to be able to have a window into somebody and what they're thinking about without the vulnerability of it being in real time. Mm-hmm. Or too personal. That's a question mark. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. And I, the, my Instagram account was kind of born out of, I, I really struggled after having both of my kids with postpartum depression and adjusting. I was a teacher before that and adjusting to staying at home and, and all of that was, was really hard. And I just kind of disappeared for a while. And so part of it was my way of feeling like myself again, feeling like I had things to do with my mind that were not just changing diapers and they're, you know, changing diapers is important and holy and great and transformative. Um, but my brain was missing some other things. So Mm -hmm. it was a way to reconnect with who I had been before. Yeah. I 
have taught for a long time, this might need to be corrected too, that whenever there's a conversation or a meeting or a group, that sixes are evaluating whether or not they should say something. They're thinking, I, I think I'd like, I kind of want to say this. I don't know. That other person sort of said it, but not the way I would have, and they left this out. So I don't know if I should say something. All of that going on, and then often I think when sixes are thinking about jumping in, then by the time they decide to, the conversation has changed. Yeah. Is this an example of that only on a bigger scale, that you just finding a way in takes you time and sometimes you miss the opportunity? I think so. Yeah, I think so. And I think I connect with people with ideas more Mm -hmm. than relationally, Mm -hmm. um, which is something I have just discovered about myself. I feel like I'm a pretty relational person, um, and I like to be around people, but I need it to be about ideas, I think. That is very interesting to me. I just realized that I'm in the room with two people from the thinking triad, a six and a seven, both of whom are introverts and both of whom like to read and both of whom like to talk about ideas. And talking about ideas doesn't mean I want to be your friend forever. It means I'd like to talk to you about this idea and then you can go your way and I'll go mine. (laughs) We've got a good thing happening here at the Micah Center. (laughs) You two do do work very well together. (laughs) It occurs to me that you're probably not exchanging many feelings throughout the day. Frustrations. The the printer's bringing out the feelings and emotions. Yeah. You know, your your dad had a secretary one time who used to pray over the printer. And this is 30 years ago. So they were really terrible then. And it wouldn't work. And she would say to Joe, uh, uh, Pastor, I need you to come in here. You don't need to talk. I know how to say this prayer. Just stand here. I don't know if I need you or not. And she'd put <laughs> her hands on the printer, and it would, like, start printing. And Joe said one day when she wasn't there, I, I was trying to print something, and it wasn't working, and I went in and put my hands on the printer, and I said the same word she said. Still didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> Worth a try, I guess. Yeah, I guess. So y'all might try that. <laughs> so in your um, opportunity to share some things you've learned about accessing the full range of your sickness. You, you know, I think it's your, I think it's a gift that it can be phobic sometimes. I'm sure it is. I have yeah. to think about it, but I'm sure it is. You know, Jenny is a nine, mm-hmm. our daughter Jenny, with a big eight wing. And she talks about her eight wing like you talk about going to three in stress mm-hmm. and going to the, counterphobic end of sickness it's like Ugh, mm-hmm. I did that and now her language is I'm gonna have to clean that up mm-hmm. do you feel her, that her eight wing hangover yes that is that's right yeah we're, she's gonna love that too <laughs> the world's gonna take that I'm, we're gonna start hearing that around here you watch are you to a point where you have a preferred space on the continuum do you like yourself better as counterphobic than as phobic, when you're kind of whipped up, can you choose phobic like you're saying you can choose counterphobic when it's a justice issue or something that you feel like you need to say? I realize that's three questions. I'll stop talking. (laughs) I don't like myself when I'm counterphobic usually because it feels more reactionary. I don't know that it really is, but it feels like it is. And I think 
part of it too is that I have sort of trained people to see me a certain way my whole life. Mm-hmm. And my whole life, when I have those that small percentage of times where I slip into being counterphobic, it really startles people. And I feel like I've done something wrong. Mm-hmm. And people treat me like, where did that come from? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really uncomfortable. I think it's it's being seen mm-hmm. a lot more, which is really uncomfortable. Can I unpack that with you for a minute? Sure. I don't even know if we'll remember what the other two questions are, but it doesn't matter. It's interesting because I think sixes want to be seen. Mm-hmm. And it's like... For the other numbers who don't have this range, we got healthy to unhealthy. So we've got our own range, but you're managing healthy and unhealthy, phobic and counterphobic. Mm-hmm. So it's more. Sorry to jump no. in. And you teach that with that 369, that it's, yeah. there's a lot more movement there than other numbers with their, their lines. Yeah. yeah. So there's just so much going on. Mm-hmm. And threes and nines are so different. Mm-hmm. And you're so different from each one of them. It, it's... It's a complicated place to be when you add the possibilities of counterphobic and phobic. And remind me, I want to come back, y'all both remind me, I want to come back and talk about do you regret it when you don't speak up when, you know. Here's my experience with you and with some other sixes. If you don't say it, my experience is nobody else in the room is going to. Yeah. You know, sometimes... Four people will have their hand up. I call on the first one, and the other three say, that's what I was going to say. Mm-hmm. That doesn't happen. That's true. When I call on a six, nobody else says, that's what I was going to say. Mm-hmm. What do you think that's about? I don't know why that is the case, but I think that's part of why it feels so uncomfortable. It's a kind of vulnerability of putting something out there that I know no one's thought of. Mm-hmm. And it's... It depends on how important the issue is to me, whether I'll um, put it out there. But I think sixes are used to, we're so much in our heads and we're not moving as fast as everyone else. And so I think we're used to being the ones to say what other people haven't thought of. And sometimes it's rewarded and a lot of times it's misunderstood and sometimes it's invalidated. And a lot of times people just are moving faster and move on and I think it has to do with (laughs) that worst case scenario thinking is weirdly I think we're very imaginative Mm -hmm. but it just doesn't go right sometimes yeah you just have to channel it yeah so I think um I think our brains are used to kind of wandering around Mm -hmm. I think that it could have to do with these three things for you at least you know that I believe that there are more sixes than any other number. Mm -hmm. And I sometimes say, because sixes are kind of iffy about doing Enneagram work, they want to, but they don't. They want to participate, but they don't. They want to, you know, you know, it's you. Um, So I often say to sixes in the room, you're representing a lot of people. Should I not say that? Like, does that put extra pressure I don't think so. I think it's validating. Because we're used to saying the thing that no one else is going to say, I think it is helpful to know that there are other people in a similar place. Great. I don't know if you've heard me say this or not. 
Um, I think I've said it mostly when we're on the road, but I have thought, I, I think in all of history, there's a need at different times for the voices of different Enneagram numbers. And I believe that right now, especially leading up to now, we'll see what happens moving forward, is the time when we need to hear from nines and sixes. And those are the two numbers that we're the least likely to hear from. Nines because they see two sides, at least, to everything. And sixes because they're the number that's the most concerned about the common good. And as I listen to you when you speak your wisdom, it is for the common good. And because you're thinking something that other people may not have thought of, I don't see that you get a lot of affirmation in the room. Yeah. Which I guess is also true at a dinner with your friends or in a conversation over coffee. And I think it's because people, I I think it's because you're putting something out that is deeper than they were thinking about. Mm -hmm. And they're thinking. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's that they're disagreeing. I think they know they don't have anything to say yet. Yeah. Which could be pretty great. You know, from for all of us not to talk when we know we don't really have anything to say. How long ago was it, your first LTM event? It was almost five years ago. The first thing I did was the Enneagram Journey um, curriculum. Nice. With Joel. Yo, yo. Oh, that was almost five years ago? Mm-hmm. Oh I think goodness. so. Yeah, that's right. It was 2017. Yeah. Oh, wow. Over those five years, what's the... One or two of the biggest things you've learned about yourself. It's hard being present oriented. <laughs> I'm trying to, like I, I, my mind is usually with whatever I'm learning right now. Um, I think stance work has been the most helpful, um, and really watching myself have my reference point outside of myself. That's probably it, and realizing that not everybody else is that way and 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 things about authority I didn't I wasn't aware of what a big deal authority was for me I knew I was a rule follower but that's not quite the same as mm-hmm. having a thing with authority mm-hmm. I don't I don't know what to what word to use but it's a big deal yeah it's interesting that brings up another question for me one of the things I say is that both phobic and counterphobic sixes are focused on authority mm-hmm They react to authority differently. Phobic sixes go by the rules and believe that that's where safety is Mm -hmm. and they should do what the authority figure tells them to do and that's the best, the best, safest path. And counterphobic sixes are watching authority figures to make sure that they have integrity and that they're doing the things they said they would do and that they're watching out for everybody. What happens with your relationship with authority as you move from counterphobic to phobic and back and back Mm -hmm. and do you change your mind sometimes about authority figures yeah definitely um I think what's hard is it feels like all of that is happening at the same time in my mind and so it's like which which one are we going to go with wow (laughs) I don't know if that's true for other sixes I bet we'll find out it's like um, I'm trying to think of an example. So we start, we made a pretty 
huge change in churches a couple years ago. And our church had a panel, uh, the new church had a panel of parents talking about parenting issues and faith and kids walking away from faith. And um, we were pretty new to the church at the time, and it was very, very different than the place we had left, which was a, it was a good change. But um, the whole time I was, I just watched myself being angsty. Mm-hmm. And I and I had been doing Enneagram work long enough to at least be able to watch myself. Mm-hmm. And I thought, what what is this coming from? Mm-hmm. And I realized that, um, you know, somebody would say something and I would start in my mind, start going back and forth about, well, I don't know about that. Is that right? I don't think that's right. Oh, I don't know. That makes me uncomfortable. And I thought, what is all, what is the point of all this chatter? Why do I feel like I have to do this? Everyone else is just like, my husband's a nine. He's sitting there, he's taken in two thirds of it and he's happy. And then we go home. (laughs) (laughs) And he probably, the part you wanted to talk about, he wasn't listening. No, that's my experience. Yeah. And I, I finally realized that, um, and what I've been working with lately is I think people perceived as authority, um, become absorbed into my mind, even when I don't want them to almost like the one's inner critic. And I know that I'm going to have to justify myself to those new voices. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to find a way, you know, when you talk about whether I like being counterphobic or phobic more, the honest answer is I, I don't, I don't want to be either when I'm in a really good place. I'm not reacting. Mm -hmm. I'm finding peace and just standing peacefully in the middle and thinking for myself instead of reacting to what's outside of myself. That's really interesting because if we, if we unpackage that, it sounds like it's a, a non-duality practice. Yeah. Of, uh, it's not up or down. It is what it is, mm-hmm. and I can let it be. Yeah. Interesting. And so I guess we could say that you have an added gift for that. Having an option sort of feels like it's an added opportunity to say, I can hold both. Instead of having to be one's right and one's wrong, one's good and one's bad. Yeah. I ha- think having options is always a gift. <laughs> <laughs> and the more the better, right? Mm-hmm. I think I you can tell me if this is a six thing, but I think I over I easily over identify with whatever's happening in front of me. Maybe it's dependent stance, I don't know. And so a lot of it is just boundaries of that's them and this is me. Mm-hmm. And um, whether I agree or don't agree is not what's defining me. Mm-hmm. So let me give you an example, and I'll tell you how I'm reacting to it, and you can tell me how you would react. We did a Q&A podcast yesterday, and a woman wrote in who was a three, married to an eight, and he was a pastor, and because of belief difference, they had to leave their church, and now they're... He's trying to find a new job, and they've left the institution, the whole thing, all together. And she's struggling and wants to know how to navigate that and what to do. And I have been thinking about her since we finished answering her question. Mm -hmm. Because when somebody has taken a stand for their own integrity, 
and then doesn't know where to go or what to do or how to move forward, that I want to support, but I don't know how. Because I'm not in the middle. You know, I'm, uh, uh, the church has lost another good person, Mm -hmm. right? If you had heard her talk, that's basically what she said. Do you feel like, or do you think that you see strength and withdrawing at the same time is the most dependent place in the middle between phobic and counterphobic? And do you think you end up being aggressive when you go to three and more withdrawing when you go to nine? Now, I don't think stances are associated with the stress and security move mm-hmm. for most numbers, but it sounds like that could be true for you. That sounds right. That's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, I've thought about it a lot with three, but I hadn't really thought about it with nine. Because for me, nine spaces, I don't have to be all up in that. <laughs> because my, my uh, you know, my dependent stance um, reactionary way of mm-hmm, being mm-hmm. is just there's a need and I need to do something about it. So nine is seeing something and maybe that's not mine to do. Maybe someone else will take care yeah. of it. Yeah. Somebody should do that. Yeah. And then it's not me. Yeah. Okay. I'd like to hear the two of you. You're both introverts. You're both thinking dominant. Uh, you're in the same triad. I'd like to hear the two of you uh, name what you think your differences are, because here's what Joel's taught me. Young Joel, first learning the Enneagram, said, I don't know about this. I don't know how I could be a seven and be right next to a six. Yeah. And I bet you've thought, I don't know how I could be a six and be right next to a seven. How does that work? And then Joel recognized that his wing is counterphobic six. Oh, wow. That's a thing. Like, that's a real important thing because sevens and counterphobic, with a counterphobic six wing, have the potential to be as aggressive as a seven with an eight wing. And I bet it's misnamed all the time. That's really interesting. And I don't know what I'm asking y'all to do, but I want to hear you talk (laughs) about it. And I think, I, I think you'll have something to say. Kierkegaard, maybe, you know, that we, uh, Live our lives moving forward, but understand it backwards. So that's almost it. We live our lives forward, but we understand them looking back. Yeah. And it is Kierkegaard. Nailed it. Good for you. Man. Applause. Um, (laughs) And as I was looking, as I was looking back on my twenties and younger and asking, you know, ask myself, why did I do these things? That's when it hit me about how fearful I, I've been in my life. And what I the way I like to think of it is when I came up with something, an idea, good or bad, there was this second voice that was like, now you have to do it. And I think that that was the counterphobic six voice of, you can't not do it now. Like, you got to let the fear not, or, or whatever, mm-hmm. not you not do it now. Mm-hmm. And so then it was always got to jump. And that having that information on board now, I'm much slower 
to react to things, react to situations, outside stimulus, uh, react to ideas that I have, and also hearing from smarter, uh, older, more experienced sevens. Not every idea is a good idea. Not every idea needs to be shared. You know, that uh, we've heard fours say <laughs> not every feeling needs to be, mm-hmm. not everybody needs to know every feeling that I have. Well, not everybody needs to hear every idea I have as a seven and I don't need to do them all. And I kind of need to ignore probably a crazy high percentage of them and just kind of keep doing life. So that was the big, that was the big eye opener for me. And now, you know, Lindsay, we work together. Her office is two. There's an office in the middle or space in the middle. And, you know, I'll walk down there, share some idea, come back, walk down there again, talk a little bit more and then come back. And I bet she's like, yeah, Joel, <laughs> sounds, <laughs> sounds good. <laughs> and I appreciate that patience that I, I think that is the sickness that she has of listening. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, but listening and probably thinking to yourself that that could be a good idea or we probably won't be doing that or we'll, <laughs> we'll see where that goes. And, and I, I just appreciate those things much more now. Everybody's going to assume that you only have a five wing because you're young and you read a lot. Why don't you talk about your wings? I mostly feel like I only have a five wing. Yeah. I think being around Joel, especially because I, I don't have a lot of sevens in my life. Um, and I think being around Joel has helped me see what I'm <laughs> reaching for. I feel like I'm circling with one wing. Um, just walking in a circle with the one one foot. I've there's, got the image now. There was a video going around social media with these, these ducklings in a pond that were just like having trouble. But that, that's it. Uh-huh. Can't change directions. That's it. Um, I think I have a huge five wing. And my sister is also a six. And I'm pretty sure she has a seven wing. And so that helps also for me to see. Um, I think I notice it the most in the need to measure energy and how much things are going to cost. I'm constantly thinking my, one of my biggest questions is, is it going to be worth it? Mm -hmm. Um, and it feels pessimistic. Um, I think it feels at war with my, the relational part of me and the dependent stance part of me that wants to be with people and help people. And I get energized from that, but there's, part of me that's thinking, but how much is it going to cost? And what are all the things I won't be able to do because I'm so drained after, Mm -hmm. after the fact. Um, I think I get glimpses of a seven wing sometimes. And if I don't, Joel, you can tell me if this is seven, but it feels like life is so rich. I can hardly stand it. Like there's, there's so much, sometimes I'll have a moment where there's, it's like, there's so much, I don't even know which part to hold on to. And it just feels like a abundance. I think that's seven. I don't know. It's nice either way. The sounds. <laughs> I, I guess it could be. I'd, Maybe it's not. Maybe it's just a being present. I don't know. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. It seems more like just a residual of a lot of the work that you do. That everyone, I think people, when they're just handling their business, when they're on top of their spiritual practices, whatever the things are that, that when I I feel that way, when I 
am handling my business. Maybe it's a healthy seven thing. Because I, I think six is very much about limits. So when I'm in a space where it feels like the limits are gone. Yeah, there we go. Now we're, in the, uh, now we're talking where seven. I'm, where yeah. I'm not thinking in terms of limits. Maybe that's what it is. And could it be when you're not doubting yourself? I think, again, it's hard to know if that's three or seven. That's so interesting. Talk about that more. Um, I'm very aware that in my move to three, I have more energy and I can move faster and I don't second guess as much. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel more confident or I at least know how to appear to be more mm-hmm. confident. Mm-hmm which sometimes makes me feel more confident. Um, But I think that's different than seven. I think there's such a dramatic difference between the aggressive stance and the dependent stance. Mm -hmm. Yup. I almost feel like the aggressive stance and the withdrawing stance have more in common than the aggressive stance has in common with the dependent stance. And it's interesting because... You and I are both in the dependent stance. And when we respond to whatever's happening right in front of us, it doesn't seem reactive. It's responding. Yeah. And once we try to use productive thinking, that's when we wonder if we're being reactive or if we're doing what's ours to do. Mm -hmm. But in the moment, we're just responding to whatever's happening right Mm -hmm. in front of us. You know, I was at home for 18 months writing, mostly. And I was uh, much less responsive when I re-entered and started, you know, being back out in the world and teaching and, you know, all the things that I hadn't been doing. And it's like, no, no, I have this much energy and you're, you're not my responsibility. So... Part of that has been helped by traveling with two aggressive numbers who say people people on airplanes don't want to talk to you. (laughs) Joel literally almost loses it if I talk to people in elevators. It's like they don't want to talk to you. Servers who are really busy, when I start to compliment them on what a good job they're doing, Joel says... Don't verbally compliment them. Let them know with their tip. It's like. There's, there's nothing better than the feeling of the elevator doors opening and there not being anyone there. I'm like, yes. I, I agree with that. I think, oh, oh, of the elevator doors opening and I'm with Suzanne and there not being anyone oh, there. Oh, oh, I don't gotcha. care if nobody, gotcha. if they can be full, I'm not talking to you. But if it's full and I'm getting on with Suzanne, it's like, oh, God. And if there's a kid, oh, it's, it's super over. <laughs> I agree with you that I think that the aggressive stance and the withdrawing stance are more kinship than, uh-huh. than with the dependent stance. And I think the biggest reason is the orientation to time, which you're talking to, you know, all the memes about this meeting could have been an email. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. Aggress- from the aggressive stance to the dependent stance. Yep. And I think the withdrawing stance to the dependent stance, like this meeting that y'all are talking through, that is three times as long as it needs to be mm-hmm. and could have been an email. And an email with bullet points and not paragraphs. Mm-hmm. My dad's an eight and I learned that from him. Yeah. <laughs> when Lucy, who's a three, also worked here, um, Lucy used to say, if it has more than three bullet points, I'm not going to read them. 
And if it's paragraphs, I'm not going to read mm-hmm. it at all. And I, it's like, I, I don't have time. I haven't learned enough about it yet to talk about it. So I'm going to go ahead and do it. We're going through, there's this period right now, the great resignation. Yep. And I've heard these stories. Um, we've, we've all heard the stories of people saying uh, who have experienced working from home and doing their job and saying, I'm, I want to keep my job. Stay here. I don't need to come into the office. This is, you know, that's time. You don't pay my gas. You don't, you know, I've got to drop off kids, all this. Do you think it's possible that those people are the aggressive and withdrawing stance? Absolutely. And the people that are like, get back in the office is the dependent stance. I can hear myself saying, I haven't said it, but I can imagine myself saying, you know, I think something different happens when we're all in the same room together. (laughs) (laughs) Right? That's what I would say. Yeah. I, I think we need to be together. Need to kind of check in on each other and make sure everybody's good. I need to look at all of you. So that I'm not just leaning towards uh, aggressive, you know, three, sevens, and eights being the examples. But Billy talked about as a nine, you know, that work work is a place for work. And I get my work done. I go, I do my job. I get my work done. And, and it works that way. And I think we talk about twos, threes, and fours being, you know, relational Ones, twos, and sixes are so relational. That's right. See it in your eyes. They're both like, yes, we need to be in the room and right. <laughs> and deal with this in the moment together, in the in the present. And it's so holy to be in the present. Oh, my gosh. I, <laughs> so I think that's what y'all lean back on the most. Is, it, it, it's, you know, present you know, a, lot of, so a lot of books written to help you be in the present moment, <laughs> yeah. too. Speaking of books, what are you reading right now besides The Journey Toward Wholeness? I did just read The Journey Toward Wholeness, and it was Fantastic. Thank you. Um, I just finished a book called The Deeply Formed Life by Rich Valodos. I'm not sure if I'm saying his name correctly. Um, He is a black Latino pastor in a a large multi-ethnic church in New York City. And um, it's really unique because he kind of walks a middle line that not a lot of people do that I've read. Um, he talks about contemplative practices and um, just having a life that is, uh, trying to think of another way to say deeply formed. <laughs> That's not helpful. Anyway, it's, um, I had, he's someone I really like following on social media because he will say a whole lot in just a sentence or two. And he's very good with nuance and holding two things together. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I got his book and then shortly after I started reading it, um, I just started seminary and our professor recommended it as well. So I was excited. Um, I'm already there. Just I'm sure you didn't say that. <laughs> already read it. <laughs> um, so that's what I just finished and I'm listening to an audiobook called the, I think it's called the hidden life of trees about how trees talk to each other. And I, the metaphors in it, it's so nerdy, but the metaphors in it, I can hardly stand how good it's, it's so much about, um, just the interconnected, interconnectedness, um, and the way they communicate and all that. So that's, that's really nerdy, but. So here's a, I was just thinking, I wonder what the significant differences are between you and me. Mm-hmm. And then you gave me a perfect example to work with. 
And then you said the books that you're reading. <laughs> and then I said trees. <laughs> That's it. You had me on the first book. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I'm going to read that trees, for not sure. People. Trees, no, 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 no. But it's, pe- I mean, when I listen to it, it is people. Like what they're talking about. And if it were just, I'm not really a science person. If it were just sciencey, I wouldn't be interested. But in my head, what I'm hearing is people. All I'm hearing right now is the scene from Lord of the Rings with all the trees talking and <laughs> moving slow. But you are very small. <laughs> uh, so here's the thing that, that happened when you were doing that. That's a difference between us in the dependent stance because you're thinking dominant and thinking repressed. And I'm just thinking repressed. You explained why you didn't use a word that you thought about using immediately. I don't know if I remember exactly. Do you remember saying that? I was going to say this, but that's not quite it. Deeply. Deeply formed. Yeah, I was going to say that again, but that's not helpful. I don't know it's not helpful till after I've said it. Mm. So I am watching you. That's Kierkegaard, by the way. I'm watching you think about what you're going to say while you're talking, correcting yourself before you say the word in that amount of time. If that is productive thinking, I'm never going to, I'm going to die before I get there. I think I thought it was just verbal processing. That's what's happening in my brain. And it's just you verbal process in your brain. I hope that's not true because no, if no, it I is, mean, I mean, so yeah, go on yeah, it, teach. If it, if you can verbal process in your brain, then that's no, all was, I'm going to hear from the people in my life. Just be Lindsay. <laughs> verbal process in your brain. Let us know what you think. No, everything that you described that was coming out. Yeah. When you're saying you're thinking through all this and saying it in real time. Yeah. I thought I was just verbal processing. Great. But you're thinking about what you say that quick before you think about it. Okay. I verbal process and after I hear it, I think about it. Oh, okay. Which is very problematic. There are times when I look at Joel when we're in some circumstance or when Joel gets my attention and he's going. <laughs> and that means don't talk. Do not process this verbally right now because it'll cost me a hundred emails. And so I'm learning to feels like censor myself. Mm-hmm. Which sixes are quite good at, actually, even though you're in the dependent stance. Yeah. We're up against it a little bit time-wise, but for everyone who is listening on the podcast, uh, we're in our new awesome podcast room, same room, uh, just you know, a little decor, some pictures, a little coziness, and one of the things uh, above Lindsay is a cool little three-by-three three square, and it's labeled one through nine, each square, and I was like, let's come up with a bit where people, when they come to be on the podcast, bring something, you know, that uh, embodies their number or whatever. Uh, or just, you know, for seven, it's probably just going to be something fun. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, Lindsay, what, what did you bring? I brought a weird thing. It was uh, the only thing yes. I could come up with. Um, it is a meerkat. I was trying to figure out how do I get a very small meerkat. So I got, <laughs> I got to say that thought has never crossed my mind. <laughs> Called a taxidermist. <laughs> so I got on Amazon and Walmart and I ordered one and then it wasn't going to come in time. So then the one that came ended up being very tiny. It's it's on a little charm. Um, but 
I've always, <laughs> I've always really loved meerkats and I've realized that it's like, they're very six animals. Um, they are very communal and they, they babysit each other's babies. You're kidding. I'm not kidding. I mean, I read it somewhere. Maybe it's right. Maybe it's not. Um, and they, um, but it first came to me back when I was in college, um, I was roommates with my best friend and we'd go shopping together and I have a terrible sense of direction, which is perfect for a six. And I would, you know, we'd get separated and I'd start looking around and she'd say, oh, I found you, you're meerkatting. Cause I would stop and stand up and kind of dart my head and my eyes side to side. <laughs> and meerkats are, you know, they, they have a, a little guy that stands up higher than everyone and is looking out for danger. And so they're, um, they're watching out for each other and they're communal. So I think that's a good picture of sixes. Wow, Joel. I love that. I love that too. And that sets the bar, the bar pretty was, high. That is exactly what yeah. I was thinking. I was yeah. like, oh man, the next person that strolls in. Uh-huh. With, and what did you uh, bring? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what gifts have you brought? I just kept thinking this, I, I'm trying to find a meerkat on the internet. This is dumb. <laughs> <laughs> now that you've done that, I bet you'll get many opportunities to find meerkats. Oh yeah, the algorithm is yeah, going to get yeah. you. That's what I'll say. I, I joke with people about my Google, uh, how worried I am that the FBI is going to look at my Google search history <laughs> because of all the different thing, different categories of things that I Google search. So as a parent who has no clue what they're doing, you know, with all the girls, that all the things that I Google to look up to help me be a better parent to girls. And then combine that with some of the um, uh, less, less mature Googling that I do for my fantasy football group and for <laughs> the trash talk that goes on there and <laughs> with my brothers-in-law and et cetera. It's a, uh, when you, when it's printed out, it looks pretty creepy just combining it. And, and then some work stuff around the Enneagram oh, and yeah, throw that spiritual in. practices. <laughs> 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 so it's a, it's a rough one. It's an interesting world that we live in. Uh, Joe's Italian and I'm adopted, but I kind of want to be Italian. And we fight like when we, we can have a good fight. And if I want, if I feel like I'm losing and he's getting too big in the room, totally not nine, just big Joe right in the room. I'll say, you better be careful. You're a pastor and Alexis listening. (laughs) (laughs) And it works. (laughs) Oh, Whitney recently, just on the Alexa tangent, she was visiting with a friend and um, they were going to have a sensitive talk about, or a talk about sensitive things. Yeah. I guess that's a sensitive talk. I, I'm not normally invited to these kind of conversations, so that's why I don't <laughs> know what they're called. And the friend was like, "Can we, let's go to the garage because they've got a ring doorbell. Oh. And so the ring, they're like, she was like, it's all being recorded. It's all. Wow. Yeah. So that's, I don't know. Technology is crazy. It is crazy. I don't think they're going to find our fights very interesting. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I'd be curious how many sixes have an Alexa. I won't, I don't have an Alexa. I bet you don't. <laughs> or an Echo nope. or a Google Dot or a. No, yeah, I do have an those. iPhone, which is close enough. Yeah. The Google is so great. For, again, for people not, not here in the room, Suzanne is dressed for a little bit warmer weather. <laughs> And she came and she showed up at the mic center today and she, she was like, I thought it was going to be colder weather. I'm sorry. It's it's gray outside. You could think it. And I told her, I was like, here's the, here's what we do in our house. 
alarm goes off, roll out of bed on the way to the bathroom. Hey Google, what's the weather going to be today? And problem solved. And that's how we, that's how we get dressed. Well, needless to say, we're not dressed the same way. We are not. No. One of us more uh, weather appropriate and the other one just more appropriate. (laughs) In most things. (laughs) Uh, You want to go ahead and ask your your final question that you are asking people now? It's interesting to me to be thinking about that because I, when I came up with the question, I really didn't think about how sixes might answer it or hear it. So my new question for a time is, what are you curious about? And clarify anything in the world, not any yeah, grammar. Anything in the whole world. I'm curious about how to hold being awake and aware and engaged without being overwhelmed and burned out and afraid. Mm. There's so many important things happening um, that I don't want to not be engaged with, but, um, that's something I've been talking about, um, with, with people I'm close to, how, how do you stay engaged without getting so exhausted? You think I, I'm just going to go live under a rock and check out. Yeah. There are so many important things happening and you can't read about all of them. You certainly can't accommodate all of them. You can't do anything about all of them. So you know, I, I'm, I'm just asking what's mine to do. Yeah. That's the only way I know to manage all that I could do, all that we could use our platform for. Like, it's a big question. Yeah. Big question. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's yeah. a lot of fun. And I, um, the work that we've done here together has changed my life and my relationships. And so I'm really grateful. Well, we love having you around. We'll just keep hanging out. Hanging out here and seeing what God's doing. Thank you. Thank you.